what it do. This is the Stronger Medicine podcast. We will be examining the spaces between clinical medicine and the therapeutic potential of our own bodies and minds. Looking into medicine, strength and conditioning, lifestyle, behavior, and a whole host of other different modalities. So today, episode number one. We are speaking with a man named Arthur Borman. Now, if you haven't heard of that name before, I, you seriously must click on the link in the show notes of this podcast and watch his five-minute video. He uploaded it in 2012, and it's had almost 30 million views. Essentially, it shows his transformation from a disabled ex-veteran of the Gulf War with more than 200 jumps to his name, a 340-pound overweight man, riddled with chronic pain, depressed, a whole host of different health issues going on. And I don't need to say anything if you watch the video, because by the end of it, you see the frankly unbelievable transformation that he went through. When he was at his lowest point, Arthur reached out to a man named Diamond Dallas Page, who funnily enough is an ex-wrestler who established his own yoga practice system. So Dallas Page helped coach Arthur through this transformation. And today, Arthur is still a special education teacher who has clearly a huge amount of passion for the kids that he educates and who are under his care. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Arthur, thank you so much for taking the time to speak um, to us today. I really appreciate it. I'll just kick this off by saying I had a bit of a thought experiment and I imagined if I were to meet you about 15 years ago or when you were sort of at your lowest point in the clinic, for example, what what would I be able to do uh, from a medical perspective? And I thought, okay, you can do certain things like uh, give joint replacement, maybe for the knees, you could give uh, pain relief, you could give uh, perhaps a gastric bypass, the, all these things, but they're riddled with side effects, they're very suboptimal, and they're all layering interventions on on other problems. But what you've essentially done is something that medicine could never do. You've actually, through the simplest means and just through your own, just through you and yoga and your and and Dallas, you you've transformed yourself in a way that medicine could never achieve. So that's that's really what sort of motivated me to reach out to you and just have a discussion with you because I find that really humbling and and very fascinating. So. To begin with, I wondered if you'd be able to give us a bit of insight into what happened after you came out of the paratroopers and the daily reality that you were facing, sort of at your low point and how you how you ended up there. Because I think for people who are listening, it creates a lot of context to see where you've come from. Well, my daily reality, uh, to be honest. I would drag myself out of bed and put myself together, take way too much Motrin, and then I would go to work, work through the whole day, sometimes work into the night, and I would come home 10, 12, 14 hours, sometimes more, come home later, and I would just sort of plop down into a chair in front of the TV and my wife would bring me food and I'd sit in the chair and I'd eat and watch TV 
until time to go to bed. And then I would drag myself upstairs, go to bed. And then the next day I'd start the whole thing over again. And as I continued gaining weight, my legs couldn't support me. I was told that I needed, before this all started going downhill, I was told that I was too heavy for knee replacements. I was told that I needed to have, you know, more work done on my legs. And that bothered me because the first time they tried to do something, something got screwed up. And they told me, well, we have to try some other things to undo what they did wrong. And then there was a post-operative infection, which was really gross. Uh, tell you what, that's a wonderful thing to look at. It's like, this is, should be getting better now, and there's stuff coming out. Uh, <coughs> but, uh, in fact, I had to take so much antibiotics that I ended up becoming allergic to penicillin. Well, uh -uh. so you're on a long course for essentially a joint infection then? Yeah. Okay. And well, what ended up happening was uh, just not good. And I just, you know, uh, they actually, they said at one point, well, we've got all the, now, this is a point where they were saying the truth, but my brain wasn't hearing it right. Okay. You know, I was talking about facts and emotion. Okay. Well, you know, here's this A we're going to do. And A should take care of it. I said, well, what happens if it doesn't? Well, we got B. Well, what happens if B doesn't take care of it? Well, we got C. What happens if C doesn't take care of it? Well, you could end up losing your leg. Like four or five negative options down was the possibility of losing my leg. And instead, I heard that, that even though that was the fourth possibility, if the first three th – and you know, the, you know how the basic rule works. The first iteration normally takes care of 90-some-odd percent of what's going on. You know, it's a bell curve kind of thing. And then each standard deviation out is that much less. By the time you're out there at the four standard deviation, you talk about less than 1%. Well, that less than 1% included the possibility of amputation. But when I heard that word, it lit up with a bright neon sign saying, oh, my God, you could lose your leg. And I decided then and there that I'm not going to let him do anything else to me. And here's the thing. They were telling me the truth. I asked the wrong question, and they answered it correctly. But I didn't hear it correctly, if you know what I mean. You would I focus on that, yeah. That, but I chose to focus on the worst possible option. I chose to, if you will, live in fear of a less than 1% option as opposed to accepting you know, the 87% option. So what was – do you mind if I ask what this was for? Was it kind of osteoarthritis or did it, did it start as um, – a hip infection, and they they came up with other options from there. Sort of. Well, there were there were already a lot of fractures in the legs before I before I started gaining weight. My legs were pretty badly busted up. Uh, but what ended up happening was, as I gained weight, it made things worse. The more weight I gained, the worse it got. The less I it's a cycle. You can't do something. You can't you you can't work on the legs hard. So you. Gain, you don't do stuff. You gain weight. The weight makes the weight makes the damage worse. So on and so forth. Now, if I had been a smart person, looking back on it now with a better with a better mindset, if I had been a smart person, I would have gotten a recumbent bike and started swimming. But at the t again, 
I wasn't seeing things. Now I'm looking back on it. What's that phrase? 2020 hindsight. But, uh, you know, now I am also looking back at me and saying I made some very, very bad choices. Okay. And that, that was a very bad choice. Instead of taking responsibility, you know, I was looking for fault instead of responsibility. I'm saying this is not my fault. Why is this happening to me? When I should have said, this is my responsibility, I need to fix it. I mean, if the wind blows trash into my yard, that's not my fault, but it's still my responsibility to clean it up. I had stuff happen to me that was clearly not my fault. I didn't start the war. wasn't my fault, but it was my responsibility to take care of myself after, and I didn't. I, you know, everybody says, oh, you did this really cool thing. Well, the reality is... I wouldn't have needed to have done the really cool thing if I had not made a bunch of bad decisions first. I mean, if if I'm going to say, yeah, I have some, what's the word, ownership of my recovery, then for me to be honest, I have to say that I have total ownership over the downfall. So I've heard you talk about this concept of individual responsibility before, and it's something which seems to be sort of a driving factor for for the transformation that you made. Can you identify, or rather, would you have said that prior to that, you were, for want of a better phrase, sort of in a victim mentality? Or was there a changing point where you appreciated the the magnitude of needing to take individual responsibility? Because it's quite a tricky term to use in cases where people can feel out of control or helpless and your situation i think many people would look at and think this guy has a lot on his plate and it's it's a challenging thing to say this is up to me so i'm just curious as to how you came to that conclusion in that place well to be blunt to be absolutely painfully blunt and forgive my language I came to a realization that I was full of shit. I came to a realization that I had, I always told myself, and I still tell myself today, that my primary value, by pr- the, the thing that I will go to the map for, is my family, my wife, my kids. And I was acting in a way. I wasn't mistreating them deliberately. I wasn't going out and beating my kids or screaming at my wife. I wasn't coming home drunk. I don't drink. I wasn't coming home and yelling or screaming or anything like that. You know, somebody else had to teach my kid how to ride a bicycle. There was nobody out there in the front yard playing ball with my boys. There was nobody taking my wife out for a walk when the leaves turned colors and they were pretty. I wasn't there for them. I wasn't being there for them. I thought, hey, I'm, I am somehow managing. I felt really proud of this. I am somehow managing to come home and bring home a paycheck and keep a roof over everybody's heads despite the fact that I can barely walk. You know, I am putting in – look at all the hours I am putting in. I was working 70, 80-hour weeks back then. And I was thinking, I am bringing home a paycheck. I'm keeping a roof over their heads. Everybody's fed. Everybody's got what they need. I am doing a good job. 
you know, so what if I want to come home and drink two liters of soda, eat a quart of ice cream and eat a pizza every night? That's not that complicated. It's easy for her to cook. You know, it wasn't right. I mean, it's a it's you know, everything that was just a rationalization after rationalization after rationalization. Well, I wonder if because I've heard you elsewhere talk about your daily routine at the time of getting up at five o'clock in the morning, spending half an hour with your wife to apply knee wraps, the braces, uh, the cream, the wraps, um, braces, just all of that. That was about as bad as it ever got. I had a, I had braces on both legs. Now, before the brace goes on, you have to clean the leg. Mm -hmm. Then there's a cotton sleeve that goes over the leg. Then there's a neoprene sleeve that goes over the cotton. Then there's Velcro that goes on the neoprene. The Velcro attaches to the brace. The brace straps in on top of that. Then there's a harness that connects the brace over my back to the other harness, to the other brace. Sorry. And you see, those braces are only designed to be worn for a few hours. And I was using them from about, they were going on around five in the morning and they were coming off around nine or 10 at night. And they were only designed to be used for a few hours. God. When they came off at night, uh, the neoprene would be sweated through, the cotton would be sweated through. And there was a necrosis going on. There was dead tissue coming off. And sometimes we'd have to, you know, we'd have to like scrub it a little bit to keep it from getting infected and hit it with the alcohol, which really burned. We just, you know, do that. And then on top of that, it was hard to sleep. That sounds unreal. I had a a CPAP machine to keep me from dying. They told me that I was, that I had reached a point where my breathing would stop at night and it would wake me back up. And since and uh, since your transformation has has the CPAP machine gone, it is gone. I do not need it. Well, apparently, I'm not sure. You know, you you guys know more about medicine than I do. But someone told me, someone who's not a doctor told me that uh, one of the causes of sleep apnea is overweight. And apparently, you the the tissues in here inside your head get all fatted up, and sometimes they close and is so that is accurate so yeah it's it's kind of like a mechanical thing so it restricts your ability to ventilate when you have a lot of weight and you can't actually you can't actually get the space in your lungs to take in the oxygen because you just have so much mass it was rough i actually passed out in front of a class that was not good that was one of the things that really my principal sent me home from school my principal sent me home i terrified a classroom full of students i was up leaning on a leaning on a cane you know, i had a pair i was using two forearm crutches and uh at the time and i was up at the board and i'd leaned one of my canes against the wall and i was leaning on the other and i was writing out a problem on the board, showing it to a room full of special ed students. And the next thing I know, I'm on the floor. There's a teacher from another room. Because uh, now these I, these were some good kids. Uh, one of them went next door and got a teacher. 
And another one went to, they have the little button you push for help. And they pushed the button. This, at least I wasn't aware of what was going on. But uh, one of the kids went up and pushed the button and said, Mr. Borman fell down. He's not moving. Oh, my goodness. Uh, somebody else shouts, we think he's dead. <laughs> Which is, I mean, these are, these are great kids. Somebody else went to another room to get a teacher. And then a few minutes later, you know, everybody's all. And my principal sent me home. And I mean, that's not what I'm about. Lack of air, I guess. I guess. Mm. But. Uh, so was that part of this process of coming to realize things needed to change? Or did you kind of that, absorb that, that and think? That was one of the things that, you know, in in a way. Being told, you know, I, I'd been told that I was going to die. I was told if you don't do something, you're just going to keep getting heavier and heavier, and you're just going to die. Who told you that? A doctor. Okay. He said, if I don't, and here's the weird thing. He was trying, he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to like, you know, what's the word, scared spooked me into doing the right thing or something and he didn't he actually released me well you know what i'm gonna die okay fine i'm going to die well you know if i'm gonna die i can pretty much it's not my fault hey i'm gonna die i'm you know do whatever i want here have a good time i'm gonna die it's not my fault and that was you know in a way, in a very strange way, it's kind of liberating. So he but, didn't uh, caveat that. He didn't caveat that by saying, if you don't change, you will die. He just said, the well, way you are. he was trying to, but again, mm. he was, he, how to put it? You know, in, as an educator, we talk about, it's not a matter of what I teach, it's a matter of what they learn. I, you know, he was up there teaching, but I wasn't learning, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. He was saying what he needed to say, but... It wasn't getting through to me. You know, as a teacher, my job is not as much to teach as it is to make sure my students learn. Yeah. He was teaching. I wasn't learning. If there is a fault, it's if, – if he has a fault, it's that he didn't make sure – he did not check to see that I was getting it. So as a medical doctor, this bit is really interesting to me. Uh, and before – I ask anything else about that. Just zooming out again to this macro view of what you were experiencing. You were, I think you said at your worst sort of 340 pounds, you were depressed. You had, you were riddled with chronic pain. You, you were passing out. You were on a CPAP machine. I imagine you were on numerous analgesics and you just had a heck of a lot going on. Is there anything else that I've sort of missed out from that? That's pretty much it. I mean, at, well, there's one other thing that's a minor thing. I actually lost my driver's license. And it wasn't because, this is funny, it was because they were afraid I'd pass out at the wheel. They were afraid I would be driving down the way, pass out at the wheel, and kill somebody. Which, to be honest, that makes a lot of sense. It took me a couple of years to get my driver's license back. I had to learn how to drive with hand controls. Uh, because my legs, you know, 
my legs still don't work quite as well as I'd like them to, which is really funny because I can do stuff that a lot of people can't do now, but they still don't quite do everything. I still have times when uh, it's all needles and pins for days on end, but and again, those are still good days. Those are still good days. I mean, there are times when I can't feel my fingers. Even now. Uh, there's damage to my, you know, there's damage to the nerves. And that's been that way for years, and it's probably going to be with me on and off till I die. I have good days, I have bad days. They do that test with the needles, with the, the two needles, they stick them together, then they spread them far apart and stuff. There are days when I cannot pass that for my life. And then there are other days when it's just a little bit worse than normal. But uh, I'm never at normal level for that. But mm. you, During this time, how long did this actually go on for where you were in this situation and you were still going to your work? You were still getting up at five. You were getting back late. You did have some serious fortitude, at least physically, to, to push through all of this and keep working earning money and and yeah. keeping the family you know going i mean that that in itself is commendable and difficult to do thank you it, it sounds like there was a disconnect between looking after your family but then when did the penny drop that this was untenable to continue in this fashion uh because it sounds like the doctor didn't get through as you said he was teaching but you weren't you weren't learning. I wonder where right. where you actually did. That was one of the things Dallas did for me. Uh, Dallas, I, I would not be alive. This is not hyperbole. I would not be alive right now if it were not for Dallas Page. Okay. Everybody else was, oh, poor guy. Hey, this is going on. And Dallas called me on it. Dallas sat there and said, well, that's bullshit. If you don't stop what you're doing, you're going to make your kids into orphans and leave your wife a widow. Is that what you want? Is that what you're about? You tell me you love your family. You tell me you love your wife. You tell me you love your boys. That's not what you're doing right now. He called me out. That's what I actually needed. That's, you know, for every student, there's the right teacher. For me, he was the right teacher. Uh, you know, the doctors were all being nice and kind. Oh, poor guy, disabled veteran. And Dallas, don't get me wrong, Dallas loves vets. He's been to, he loves the military, he loves veterans. He's been overseas with the USO multiple times. He's been to Iraq, he's been to Afghanistan, he's been to veterans hospitals. Uh, I've gone with him once to a Marine Corps base. Uh, he is, nobody loves the military more than Dallas Page. But in my case, he he could tell that being nice wasn't the answer. He could tell that at that minute, if he could have, I think, if he had been there in the room with me, he'd have probably just reached across the table and slapped me. <laughs> but that's what I needed. That was what, you know, he understood what I needed. He read the audience, if you will. Do you think you would have been ready for that message uh, years prior? Or did you have to get to a certain place? If somebody just said you're full of shit, would you have... I don't know. Yeah. That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. Hmm. Uh, maybe. Maybe not. But uh, DDPY, you know, the program, just totally, you know, at, at that time it was called YRG, and it's since evolved, and I've evolved with it. 
Okay. Uh, it's it gave me a form of exercise that I could actually do without uh without going to a gym and getting looked at by everybody uh without having to have a million dollars worth of fancy equipment or nothing it gave me something that I could do where I could get my heart rate up but I didn't have to go out and run and pound and pound myself into jelly uh it gave me uh a workout that met me where I was now one of the things that I did and uh you know, I, I've, I got a master's degree in curriculum adaptation and modification. <laughs> in other words, how do I take what somebody else wrote up for the regular ed kids, how do I turn that into something that I can teach to my special ed kids and still get them the core essential material? So in other words, they have to know how to do the same task, but I have to teach it to them differently. And I looked at the positions that I could not do. Okay. I looked at the things that I could not do and thought, what is the purpose of this movement? What is the purpose of this exercise? You know, it's, you know, it's not about can I hit, uh, you know, yoga guy? Can I hit triangle pose, trikonasana? Can I do that pose? And I don't care. What's the pose do? Well, it stretches certain muscles. It lengthens. It strengthens certain directions. It works on your balance in certain ways. How do I do that? And I had find ways to modify it. Sometimes, now in some poses in classical yoga, it will have like multiple things that it does at once. I can't do that. But I can do the pose two or three different ways, supporting myself in different ways to get the same benefits out of it. So it's not about can I do the pose, it's about can I get the benefit that the pose has. Dallas understood that. And uh, he gave time for people to do those things and i had to work out my own modifications and for the benefit of the listeners i understand that diamond dallas page ex-wrestler who is now uh, he he teaches yoga and he you, you essentially reached out to him online and he was the only person who he was the only person who gave you the i've heard that you were turned away from yoga studios at the door and things yes. like this I yeah. was turned away from the yoga studio. How did they, I mean, what did they even say? I can't, I can't imagine this. Well, they, uh, I'd have to sign waivers. I said, sure, I'll sign waivers. And, you know, I wanted to go in there and, and do, take like a beginner's class. They had like a twice a week for so many weeks beginner's class. And I wanted to take that. And finally, you know, I'm sitting here saying, I'll do that. You know, I'll do this. And finally, the lady says, look, we just don't have anybody who can teach somebody like you. We cannot help you. And you know what was really ironic? Uh, the next time I went back to that studio, it was because their website was showing my video. <laughs> and I sat there and said, no, it says I got turned away from a yoga studio. They're going, Yes. I'm going, you were that yoga studio. Oh, biggest face palm ever. Now, if you don't take that video off your website, I will tell everybody that you were that yoga studio. Unbelievable. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that that I don't get angry very often, but that made me angry. I think that's that's fully justified. Yeah. So, so you were actually looking for something. You were looking for yoga. This was all prior to Dallas, all of these things? 
Uh, it was it was prior to it. I was trying to find anything. To be honest, I wanted I I did not think yoga would would physically change me. I did not. I was hoping it would help me sleep through the night. Ah, uh, okay. So you that was, was your trying, motivating factor at that time. My back was giving me so much grief. Hmm. My back was I was in you know my I was in back pain. All I mean you know what it is if you gain that much weight you have back pain. My back pain was terrible. And there were nights when it was just excruciating. There were some nights that hurt so bad that I couldn't even keep my food down. Uh, and I wanted to be able to sleep through the night. I'd had an experience with yoga a long, long, long time ago when I was in the service. There was a yoga class at the uh, rec center. And I was dating a girl and she went to the yoga class and I went along with her. And I became aware of the fact that my back felt really good after the class. You know, all those spinal twists and stuff at the end of the class. I'll be honest, that was my whole reason for going to the class. After a while, I stopped dating the girl, but I kept going to the class. Really, because those last 20 minutes of the class, when we were on our backs, twisting around, and, and you know, I could feel my spine adjusting. I didn't know what that was back then. I didn't know that word. I'd never seen a chiropractor until much later. And, uh, but I could feel my spine adjusting and I slept better. And in the morning when I had to throw on a rucksack and go out and do the march, you know, I felt better. Uh, so it was quite a pragmatic thing at the time. You were doing what you were doing, but you were just, you'd reached this threshold where you, you, the pain was just too much. And you thought, this is something I need to fix. Yeah. Outside of, you know, I need to transform my entire being, which sounds like it came later. This was just, I need to get the back pain under control so I can just carry yep. on. Okay. Well, what happened was after that, I went online and, uh, you know, it is, you, you sit there and you just start throwing search words in. And, uh, I threw in yoga and broken back. And, uh, there was a uh, link to a uh, somebody had scanned an article about uh, Dallas into uh, the computer, the interwebs, and uh, there it was. And I found it, and then I typed in his name, and it took me to the you know the website. And back then it was called YRG Yoga for Regular Guys, and uh, it took me to the website. And I'm looking at it, thinking this could work. You know, I got to try something. So I ordered the DVDs and that's where everything started. Because that's quite, the that's thing that everything... got me about the video was that you, you were just essentially in your house doing this. And then I'm assuming you had email contacts as and when from Dallas. But apart from that, something inside well, you had clearly ignited. That's kind of a weird thing. At first I didn't realize it was him. Oh, right. I mean, you know how it is on the internet. You can say you're anybody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I've gotten I've gotten emails from Barack Obama. You know, <laughs> no, it wasn't really him. That's weird. <laughs> you know, I've gotten emails from Donald Trump. No, it's not really him. No, well, that could be real. You know, so. I I gotten emails from Bill Gates. No, it's well his case. You know. <laughs> but uh, you know, you get you could you know it's I was thinking it's like Bob in marketing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But. uh no, I, I'm, and I'm having a conversation thinking, wow, this is really great customer service. Now, I was thinking he was like this multi-billion dollar corporation 
And actually, at that time, he had just started up the website and the DVDs were just going out as the first generation. And I didn't realize I was actually getting emails back and forth from him. And he's saying, you know, it's like, well, how is this going? And I'm saying this. And I, I made a comment to him one day that, you know, I, you know, it's like, well, I'm not really the regular guy. You know, I'm basically a piece of furniture. And he sat there and he said, well, send me a picture of you. And I sent him some pictures. And then he says, what's your phone number? And I'm thinking, this is probably the end of it. They're going to, like, delete me out of the accounts or something. And that night, Diamond Dallas Page calls me on the phone. And he changed my life. And that's where he delivered that information to you over the phone. Yep. Wow. And he's never, well, that's quite a quite it's, a brave thing to, quite a brave strategy to take yeah, as a I trainer. I mean, here's the weird thing. He already had my money. I had already bought the stuff from him. He had nothing to gain by doing that. He did it just because he's Dallas. That's the guy. That's the man. Uh, he had nothing to gain and quite literally a lot to lose because at the time he was in a startup business. And if, if I had gotten, you know, if I'd gone on the internet and said, Oh my God, this guy's a son of a bitch and blah, 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 blah. You know, that would have, that would have hurt him a lot. Hmm. But instead he, uh, you know, regardless of that, he thought it's the right thing. I got to help this guy. So he, he helped me. That's why I'm talking to you. Cause he helped me. As I've mentioned before, medicine can't do any of this stuff and you've done all of this stuff with obviously the input of Dallas as well but you've you've physically done all of this and there's almost there's this kind of moment where you uh, something clicks or some something's ignited and then from there on it's and the video I imagine makes this seem more seamless than it perhaps was but things a course is set and and off you go and then you become this completely different this completely different animal this completely different human at that time when you were perhaps at your lowest point or during that period what would have been something or maybe there was nothing actually but do you think there could have been anything that if I was dealing with somebody similar to in your position at the time that could have perhaps gone some way towards enacting or enabling that change or or helping that person if they came to clinic and saw me i wonder if there's anything that you think could. yeah but you wouldn't do it really you couldn't do it oh that's really yeah. interesting what's the what's the reason you gotta slap the shit out of somebody <laughs> uh, i'm not kidding i get struck off yeah verbally you've got to be you've got to be there are some people who are like me, where you can't be nice. You have to be in their face, blunt and harsh. And have you ever heard that phrase, cruel to be kind? Yes. Cruel to be kind. Not even to be kind. Cruel to help somebody. Dallas was hard. He was harsh. He was, even though it was on the phone, he was in my face. Uh, because, you know, over the emails and over the that short phone call, he read me well enough to know 
that if he was nice to me, it wouldn't sink. It wouldn't make sense to me because, you know, if there was one ounce of sympathy, then I would feel justified in not doing anything. It wasn't a matter of I needed the sympathy or I wanted the sympathy. What I wanted was the absolution mm. of guilt. I want to be told, it's okay if you die. And he said, no, it's not. It's your fault. Goodness. That's so tricky you, because, yeah. You know, he is this very big, very loud, very much over the top. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm not a wrestling fan. I am not a wrestling fan. Which uh, is kind of interesting because a lot of the people down there are wrestling fans and I'm not. Uh you're but, just this uh, outlier. <laughs> I'm the outlier, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, with, with some people who are in the place that I was, like I said, you have to be verbally aggressive to a point where if he was a doctor, it would have been unprofessional. But he's not a doctor. He was a caring friend who cared enough, even though he barely knew me, he cared enough about me to go to that level for me. It's, fu it's funny, this story, because it does... It's really tricky because it flies a bit in the face of how we are trained and empathy, um, shared decision-making, lots of different concepts within medicine of how you communicate with patients. Now, I remember hearing your story about how Dallas said those things to you about you know you don't care about your family etc if you continue down this route and i relayed this to uh, my father who's a family physician just to see what his thoughts were and it, he just stopped dead in his tracks and he said one of the only times where things really change is when he's called patients out quite directly quite bluntly and and it, it even takes them aback they're like oh, i didn't expect you to say that but then they've built this trust where it completely changes their trajectory. Knowing where that threshold is is seems to be the tricky thing when you can do that. That's what I mean. That's why I'm saying it's it's one of those things that I think uh, for a lot of people it just crosses the line that they can't cross very easily. So if somebody was in, and, and, and clearly there are many people who are in similar positions all around the world, and I suppose you do get quite a lot of emails and things, if you had to bottle up this thing which triggered and enabled a transformation from A, where you were, to B, where you are now, this bridge in between, how would you, how would you describe that? Like what, what things would that entail? A lot of work, a lot of consistency, not giving up, accountability. Uh, you have to have somebody, you have to have somebody to hold you accountable. And that's hard. Uh, I had a problem a couple of years ago where I uh, was attacked by a student who had a, some emotional issues, and my leg was broken. Wow. It wasn't a severe break, but it was bad enough. And again, because I had already been injured in that, you know, because I'd already had so many injuries, it kind of like a, the equivalent of having a glass jaw in boxing. I have a glass knee. Okay. It takes when I when I get a leg injury of any kind, it takes me much longer to recover than a normal, you know, normal person. I mean, uh, one time uh, I tore a muscle, uh, and 
worked even working through the injury, working out like uh, I modified my workout, but I modified my workout. I was seeing a doctor for it. I was icing the heck out of it, doing everything I was supposed to. It still took me, and the guy sat there and said, it is slow. It is not healing. It is healing. It's just not healing as fast. And he said, well, it's probably just because you've been, you know, injured so many times. I guess scar tissue takes a longer time to heal than regular tissue does. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it took a long time for that injury to heal. Uh, I had a, what was it? I think it was an ad, an adductor torn. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. And it was, uh, he said it was like, I think it was like four centimeters or something. So it was a pretty bad tear, I guess. Mm. But, uh, or was it millimeters? Centimeters? Millimeters. So, four something. Either's bad. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it took me the better part of half a year to rehabilitate the injury completely. And uh, they said, normally it should take you about two or three months. But uh, it took me the better part of six months to, re- to rehabilitate the injury completely. Okay. But anyway, when my leg was broken, it's like uh, I didn't get a lot of support at work. And I, I'm not going to go into the, the whole politics of what happens at work, but uh, I didn't get a lot of support at work, and I was in pain, and I could not you know, work out. <clears throat> and instead of, instead of calling up Dallas and saying, hey, this happened, you know, I just let myself go. And that – and it, it's like looking back at it now – I'm still recovering from that. Yeah, I'm still trying to take off the weight that I put back on. And uh, again, it was uh, Dallas held me accountable. He held me accountable. He would not let me, you know, go back to where I was. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. Can uh, can I? challenge something you have said or maybe not challenge but uh, raise something that you said on elsewhere um because people have said your transformation is incredible and have given you a lot of praise about it and all very in my opinion anyway it's very deserved and i know what you're going to say you're going to say is nothing special or you're not special or it can't be spe- it cannot julian please hear me on this and all your other people, please hear me on this. It cannot be special. I cannot be special. Because if I'm special, that means that what I did, quote unquote, ordinary people couldn't do. And if what I did is something that an ordinary person couldn't do, then what happened to me isn't real. Mm-hmm. And it means that somebody's going to look at it and say, oh, well, I can't do what he did because he's special. No. What I did, anybody can do. I know dozens, maybe even hundreds of people who have done the same kind of thing that I've done using DDPY. Okay, Dallas did not set out to create a rehabilitation program, but that's somehow what he did. Uh, There are people who have taken off grotesque amounts of weight. There's one lady who her weight caused her to have problems having children. And now she's 
I'm sorry, I get teared up a little bit about this. Now she has got these two beautiful little girls. Excuse me, two little beautiful little kids. The last time I saw her, she had a new little baby girl. And it's like the first time I saw this kid, I almost started crying. Um, you know, it's uh, – there are, are so many people who have transformed themselves using this. And I know a large part of it is due to the program itself, just the mechanics of the program, the fact that it lets people – uh, get a cardio workout without running or jumping or swimming or pounding. Uh, it's it's virtually a zero. I mean, I know laws of physics. There's no such thing as zero impact, but it's minimal impact. Yes. Okay. And using the heart monitor. Uh, I don't know of any other style of yoga where you're working to raise your heart rate like that and then using the heart monitor to, to keep track of yourself. You know, that's one of the things you create. You you're moving with your own. You're using your muscles to create sort of a isokinetic resistance as you're moving through the positions. And that's a unique aspect of it. There's no other style that does that. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he says DDPY. He doesn't want people to think of it as yoga because it's gone beyond regular yoga. Uh, also, the way he teaches is definitely not regular yoga style. <laughs> not yeah. serious. At the end of the class, at the end of the class, if you're down there, we're teaching it. Uh, they have got a projector showing your uh, your heart rate. You know, they got the heart monitors all Whoa. hooked in, and you can look up there. If you don't have it on your cell phone, you can look up there and see your heart rate. And then they'll sit there at the end of class, and they'll start calling out who it was and what and how many calories they burned in an hour. And it's like, oh, Bob, 900 calories, bam, and everybody sort of pounds the floor, bam, 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 <laughs> you know, to, to, to celebrate. And we do that for everybody who's there, and it's re it's really awesome, and it's very motivational. So it's not you know uh, yoga classes can be kind of churchy if you know what I mean. Yes, and his is not. His is not. You, you've you've rightly said, and I do agree with you. People, anyone is capable of of doing unbelievable things for themselves. The fact that you have managed to do this, and there are many, many people who are in similar situations who just, for whatever the reason is, there's a, there's the, it is something special by definition. I guess it doesn't mean that you specifically are special, but there's something in this whole process, and 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 you're alluding to it through things like um, Dallas and the accountability, everyone else who's involved, having the extrinsic motivation. Tying in motivation with family, so I guess it's a multifactorial thing, and it doesn't sound like a simple thing to just translate into uh, any individual. It's sort of they have to find their own way forwards, I guess. Well, I think this is going to sound weird. There are a lot of people who will do something for other folks that they won't do for themselves. Yes, and I did it for my family. I've known. People who do things for their for their friends, you know, they have uh, that sort of the flip side of having another person to hold you accountable is having a person to do it for. I, I'm trying to remember. I think this Dale Carnegie said something about if you've got a reason why you can do any what or something like that. But basically, if you've got the right motivation, you can accomplish anything. And that's the whole thing because it's not a matter of one great feat. It's a matter of doing the right thing day after day after day, and it's little right things. 
day after day after day. And if you're willing to do those little right things, if you're willing to, you know, to to skip the candy bar and go out for the walk, you know, that's a little right thing you do every day. If you're willing to get up, you know, the extra hour early and do your DDPY, that's the right thing. Would you say that you're still that there's still a fear that things could revert back or do you feel like you're in a new place and things are sort of taking care of themselves? To be honest, uh, I would love to say the latter, but I have to say the former. I would love to say that I am perfect and fixed forever, but the reality is I'm a work in progress. Uh, you know, uh, to be honest, one thing I've learned from my recent experience when my when my leg got broken is if I have a setback, uh, I'm going to call for help. I'm not going to hold it in and say, oh, I can beat this on my own. And that's probably one of the more important things I've learned in the last year or so is, you know, if if there is a setback, if I get injured again, you know, I'm going to I'm going to call somebody. I've got a circle of friends here. And it's not just a circle of friends that I help. It's a circle of friends who help me. There are people who started emailing me. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, this is great. You know, how can I do this? And then I would email them back. And then it never occurred to me when I was having a problem to email them because they were on the same journey that I was. Mm -hmm. And now one of those guys, uh, I've got a friend, his name's Chris. He's up in Massachusetts and uh, he's my accountability buddy. Mm. You know, I do good. I call him. I do bad. I call him and we hold each other accountable. I think the accountability buddy is really important. Yeah, really, really, really important. Well, like I said, if I make if I if I sit there and I tell him, if I was to, to call him up and say, yeah, I had a I had a didn't work out today and I had a big chocolate ice cream bar, I would catch royal hell. Yeah, he'd get a slap. <laughs> and I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> but equally, you slap him back as well, I guess. <laughs> if he needs it. But that's what we're friends for. So I am aware of time. I wondered if I could just finish with a few sort of quick fire-ish questions um, sure thanks Go ahead. so first question if you could only do one yoga move for the rest of your life you can't do any others what would you choose uh there's a yin position called cat grasping tail I'm trying that to is picture it that is my absolute favorite pose because it is an incredibly good spine stretch mm. you're you're twisting you're stretching you're also uh, stretching out your quads. It's uh, it's yin, but uh, that would be that is like the best spine twist. But the thing is, you have to really work to get into it. Okay, is that your style, yin yoga? Obviously, uh, you do no, DDP. Yin, <laughs> uh, I actually got certified as a yoga teacher. I'm a RYT five hundred. I'm I'm a What's the word? Registered for yin. Uh, I've even taken prenatal. Okay. And that's interesting. Try being a guy in a prenatal yoga class. <laughs> but you learn breathing techniques there. Yeah. You learn breathing techniques there that you wouldn't learn anyplace else. That sounds challenging. Uh, yeah. And I've taken that. I've, I've, uh, I studied Tai Chi and I got my teaching certificate for Tai Chi uh, because I wanted to learn as much as I could. 
but DDPY is the you know that's that is my parent style. That is what I do. Uh, you know, I do uh, a lot of other yoga, but DDPY isn't really yoga anymore. DDPY is what yoga is evolving into, and I think we're going to see other directions where that's going. It's like uh, there's the YAS folks with the yoga and spinning. There's the iron yoga folks. They're all taking yoga into different directions. DDPY is really power yoga with biofeedback and isokinetics. That sounds very cool when you put it like that. See, most most days I do uh, – most days I start out with 45 minutes to an hour of DDPY. And uh, a couple of days a week, or if I need it, like for my back is giving me some grief, I'll do some yin or I'll do hatha to really – if I really want to focus on the alignment, if I feel like I'm getting sloppy, I'll I'll throw in like an extra 30, 40 minutes of hatha and just work on my alignment. And if I really feel like my back is getting tight or I want to get deeper into some poses, then I'll do some yin so I can get that extra stretch. Is there any time – or rather, if I gave you the opportunity to spend a day at any point and geographical location in human history or world history, where would you like to be and when? Wow. Can be. It doesn't have to sort of define you as a person, just somewhere that maybe you fancy spending a wow. day. Well, I'm thinking about there's so many places. I, I don't even know how to answer that. There's so many places that I've that I've been that I loved. Uh, Dinosaurs. I couldn't even begin. Pardon? Dinosaurs, I've always thought like maybe a day would be not too long to endanger yourself if there were dinosaurs, but you could get the gist of what it was like at least. Just a silly okay. question. Uh, I don't even know where to answer that question. Sorry. Next question. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So at the moment, what does an ideal day in the life of Arthur Borman look like? What would be, you know, you get into bed and you think that was a very well spent day. Nothing left on the table. Uh, up in the morning? Get my DDPY in, uh, get to work, have a really good day with my, you know, have a really good day with my kids, come home, spend some time, you know, with my wife. I've still got one son at home. The others have moved out, but spend some time with the family and then get to bed early. You know, it's, that's a nice night. My wife and I are at a point where we can just, you know, we don't have to talk. We can just sit around and sit in the same room and read and pet cats. And that's nice. You know, that that actually, uh, a few days ago, we were sitting in the same room, and I was reading and she was reading, and a cat crawled up into her lap, and a cat sat next to me, and we are both sitting there reading and petting cats, and it was just like, nice. Just, just nice. Yeah. And um, have you got anything coming up that you're excited about, or or even just what the rest of your week is looking like? Oh, school year starts in a couple of weeks, so ah, I'm starting so, to get ready for that. Oh, you, you're off then, holidays at the moment. I'm off uh, until the uh, third week of the month, then I go back, and uh, teachers start early, special educators a little earlier than that. Yep. I've been taking some uh, courses during the summer to get ready for the new school year to start, trying to get some extra sleep, relax, have some fun. Sounds excellent. Getting some sci-fi conventions. I've been to a couple this summer. I've been to... Uh, Five conventions this summer. I've got, uh, I've got uh, one more this summer. What, uh, what, what's your favorite way to consume sci-fi? Is it movies, books? 
Uh, I'm a cosplayer. Ah, cool. Okay. I costume. I make. Uh, I make my own costumes, uh. which is really nice because I don't sew very well. So my my entire focus has to be on sewing. It's the it's a friend of mine calls it my Zen thing because. <laughs> I have to be totally focused on what I'm doing, or I make terrible mistakes. <laughs> what did you so, uh, What did you go as uh, yesterday? Did you go uh, as a yesterday? A giant rabbit. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, let's see now, I've had some luck. I had a Cthulhu cultist that was very popular. Ooh, that's excellent. I yeah. have, you know, the obligatory Jedi. Of course. You know the Jedi, the Jedi robes. Can't go wrong. Uh, I have Star Trek outfit, of course. Everybody knows you wear the Star Trek robes during the you know, Star Trek, you know, outfit during the day. The Jedi robes at night because they're more formal. I would have gone wrong you know. there. You see, I would have made, I would have put my foot in my mouth. Yeah, good to know these things. But, though. Uh, yeah, I've got. Oh, I've got. It's just, uh, it's a hobby that got out of control. <laughs> oh, that sounds great, though. Arthur, look, I really, honestly, I really, really do appreciate you taking this morning, and I'm sorry about all the, um, you know. The technological the tech- issues we were having, yeah. It's not a problem. But honestly, it's been really a real privilege to speak to you. Okay, can I say one thing to your folks before it's over? Yes, please do. No matter how bad things are, there is nothing that cannot be fixed if you're willing to work at it hard and work at it consistently. If you've got a good enough reason to do it, you can do anything. And if you don't have a good enough reason, find one everybody has got something that is worth it everybody has got something that they are willing to fight for you fight for that and you can do anything it doesn't matter what you're fighting it what matters is what you're fighting for fantastic (laughs) fantastic no that that literally wraps up everything that we've talked about in a very succinct way so Thank you very much for that. Uh, Glad to help.